Well, hello, podcasts, and welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You are so very welcome. And the project is to work together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're joining here for the very first time, then why not click on that subscribe button and make a decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. By joining with us today, you're joining with thousands of people around the world in over 150 countries who've made that decision already. You're most very welcome. And if you are here for the first time today, then please stick around at the end and I'll give you some ways in which you can connect to other teaching resources that I make freely available in other places. So thank you for joining me and I'll see you at the back end. Okay, people, here we are. Today we're looking at five verses from Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, which is we're beginning to get to the closing end of this very famous passage called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this one, Jesus is telling us to beware of false prophets. And he's going to give us some real insights to help us discern situations where people appear to be representing God and his word, but aren't really doing so. You know, there's a very old saying, I wonder if you've heard it, that says that if it looks like a duck, and it waddles like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. But suppose I were to tell you that Jesus says that that's not always true. Suppose I also told you that when he said that, what he had in mind were religious people, people who held positions whereby they were seen as the people who would speak out about what God said or about what God was thinking, what we would today probably just call preachers. But not all people who look like preachers are really preachers of what God's word is saying. They may look like preachers, they may talk like preachers, but are they really messengers of God? That's the key point here. And that's why Jesus is telling us to beware of false prophets and how to recognize one when we see or hear one. So what I want to do today is look at the message that Jesus gives at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, because we really need to know about this, and I think we really need to know about it in these days, in this day and age, because there's all sorts of stuff out there, and there's all sorts of people claiming to be Christians or to be inspired by Christianity, especially if you're existing in any way in the online world in which we all operate today. But you also need to know this, even if you're just someone who reads religious books, or if you go to different churches, because you need to be able to recognize what's called here a true prophet from a false prophet when we see or hear one. So how would you spot one? How would you know a false prophet if you saw one? Especially if, as like I said, it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. How can you know if it really is a duck? Well, the answer to those questions are found for us in these closing verses of Matthew chapter 7. And we can be thankful that Jesus himself gives us some really clear insights in how to have this heavenly wisdom. 
Now you will recall we've been going through the Sermon of the Mount for probably over a month now and Jesus is now coming to the end of this passage, this sermon as it is and in the conclusion of it he's giving us three challenges, three exhortations that form the conclusion and I suppose the application of his main sermon. The first exhortation we looked at over the last couple of days was that about making the right choices and choosing between the the narrow and the wide gate. And the second one we're looking at today, which is about identifying, being aware of and identifying false prophets. And then the third one, which will come in a couple of days, he calls us to and gives us some tools upon which we can build our lives in the future. So we're going to look at the second one today, the issue of false prophets. And it begins in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, where it says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So in this passage here, Jesus is clearly giving us a description of a false prophet. And it's a description that some of us might find a bit surprising. And then secondly, he's going to give us the test of a false prophet, how you can tell whether a preacher or someone standing up claiming to speak for God or say God's word, how you can decide whether that person is really giving you a message from God. And then finally, tomorrow probably we'll get to talking about the destination awaiting these false prophets. So with that in mind, let's see what Jesus says about these false prophets. He begins by saying, beware of them. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. All right, he's describing them. And the first thing he says to them is they come in sheep's clothing. In other words, they're going to look like the real McCoy. He's just called them false. So in other words, they look the same as everybody else. How they appear on the surface is superficially is the same as everybody else but they're not the real deal these false prophets may say things that resemble the truth may they may say even say things that sound plausible but what they say won't stand up to close biblical examination and that is the way in which we are clearly told to identify them as false prophets Look again at the opening verse. He says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are wolves, ravenous wolves. So they're not sheep. They're wolves, in fact. If you'll excuse me mixing my metaphors, they may quack, but they're not ducks. They're just decoys. They're not the real deal. And that's the point he's making here. As a matter of fact, this Greek word that's loosely translated ravenous wolves in some translation can also be translated and means to refer to someone who's a swindler or an extortioner who takes advantage of other people. Isn't that interesting? I think this is pointing to a fact that often a motivation for these people is that what they're really out for is their own personal gain and they don't mind swindling or extorting other people to get it. Now that doesn't necessarily mean their motives are always financial, sometimes they are, 
Often it's about building their own reputations and gaining influence. Someone has said false prophets are in the ministry for what they can get, for what they can get out of people, not what they give. They're there to exploit people. They're not there to build people up. They're actually, their ministry is dominated by their self-interest. They will speak of monetary gain, prestige, and their real motivation, if it's not just for out-and-out money, is to transmit their own ideas and build influence. And what they're in fact doing is they're promoting themselves instead of Christ. One comment I read on this matter said, and I thought this was particularly helpful, No man at one and the same time can prove he's cleverer than everyone else, yet at the same time say Christ is number one and above everything else. The whole idea here is that a true sense of Christian humility would mean that seeking your own prestige should be the very last thing as someone who speaks out or preaches should be the last thing you want. You see, false prophets are often, one might say usually, in the business of promoting themselves rather than promoting the Lord. I read a story once of a pastor in Scotland. He was a very well-known academic and his books topped the Christian book charts in the 1960s, 70s. He even did the epilogue on Scottish television on the Sunday evening after the news. Now, when he retired from his university job, he could have pastored any number of churches in Britain because of his wisdom, his knowledge of the Bible, and his renowned speaking ability. But he chose to minister to a very small congregation in a tiny rural church of Scotland church called the Kirk. And he chose to do that and to see out his retirement doing that. Sometimes of an evening, there were only 15 or 20 people in the church where he was preaching. After years of doing that, two men who who visited had a conversation with him and they wrote about discussing about the situation afterwards. And one of them said, wow, because of this man's humility and his service, he will have a front row seat at the kingdom of heaven. The other guy humorously disagreed and said, no, God wouldn't do that to him. He would be actually miserable if God put him in the front seat. Anyway, there is a sense here. If these people are ravenous wolves, then the, the, the true Christian prophet, the true Christian preacher, will always have a sense of humility and servitude. You see, they're in it for themselves. They're in it for their own personal gain and not for what they can do for other people. Okay, I hope we can agree with that so far. In a sense, that's what the false prophets will look like. But we need to know more discerning this than just recognising, yeah, that's a trigger, that's a red warning light. That can appear that something on the surface doesn't appear quite right. But that still doesn't answer the big question. How can we definitely know that if something looks like a duck, that it's not just a decoy? How do you know when a man or a woman are claiming to be speaking from or for God, how do we know that they are really speaking from God? In other words, how can we recognize a true prophet from a false prophet? Well, Jesus gives us the litmus test and he begins to do that in verse 16. Let me remind you when he said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Good trees bear good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
What's the test? Well, the answer here, we've been told, is the fruit. Isn't that obvious? Isn't it as clear as the nose of your face? That shouldn't be, have been too hard to miss. But the plot thickens a little at this point because I need to point out a couple of things about this passage. The word translated to know whether someone is a, a false prophet, it means is to discern. Now, I think that because false prophets are often people who will use deception, it's telling us you're going to have to exercise discernment and you're going to have to exercise some real perception in the dealing with this issue. Now, there is a problem with this verse and the way it is interpreted by many people, and the problem is this. If you've ever heard anyone quote or talk about this verse, it's normally used to suggest that you can know a true Christian from a fake Christian by their works. So the fruit described here is believed by many to be referring to good works. That's what it looks like, right? We know that good works are described as the fruit of the Spirit elsewhere in Scripture. And people often think that this passage is saying you just look at someone's life and you can tell whether they're the real deal or not. You can tell whether they're a Christian. You can tell whether they're a true or false prophet. But is that actually correct? Is that correct here? And is that even a wholly biblical idea? I mean, some Christians can do some pretty bad things, right? Now, there are passages that deal with this issue, and they do use the term fruit to refer to good works. But I want you to know that that is not what is being taught here. For several years now, we've been going through the Bible, and if I've taught you anything, I hope I've taught you to understand over these years of doing this podcast, the one thing I've tried to focus on when approaching a single or a couple of single Bible verses is how important it is to hold them within the context in which they are written. What is the subject matter being discussed in the surrounding verses? That's the key to understanding any Bible verse when pulled out of the Bible in isolation, is you've got to hold it within its context. So what's the context of this passage? Is the context talking about salvation? No, it's not. The context in which this verse about fruit is discussing and trying to equip us to enable us to recognize false prophets. It isn't trying to tell us to know whether someone's saved or not. It's trying rather to help us discern truth from error and whether what someone says is making them, is identifying them as a true preacher of God's word or a false prophet. So what we're talking about here, well, what I can confirm is we're definitely not talking about the salvation of Christians here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's addressing the issue of identifying false prophet. So the subject is false prophets, and the way to know the false prophet is by their fruit. So what is the fruit of a prophet? What should be the fruit of anyone who claims to speak out the word of God into an everyday practical situation? You see, the word fruit here can be applied differently to any given situation as to represent that which should flourish in that particular situation when the word of God is put into it, when the Christian context is being discussed. For example, there are different applications of the word fruit in the scripture. The fruit of a Christian individual would be seen and measured by the development of their character. 
and the fruit of living a true Christian life is, of course, those things talked about elsewhere, the good works, the fruits of the Spirit. But that is completely foreign to what this passage is dealing with here. The point of this passage is to help us simply know a false prophet when we hear one, which means the fruit of the prophet or the preacher are the words that come out of their mouth. And for the prophet, it is the prophecy. Now I can assure you that that is the way Jesus is using the word fruit here in the Gospel of Matthew. And all the serious Bible commentators would share that view. But just for a moment, I want us to keep one metaphorical finger, so to speak, here in Matthew chapter 7. But listen for a moment to what Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. So this is exactly the same idea as Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see that this verse is actually saying something about the words that are coming out of the person's mouth, and that Jesus is using that as an illustration of the fruit. So the fruit in these verses, and in the chapter 12 verses, are the fruit of the prophet are the words that are spoken. Now if we stay in Matthew 12 for a minute, look at the verses that follow. You brood of vipers, he says, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So what's the fruit? It's the words that come out of their mouths. Let's just continue for a moment in 12.35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of their heart bring forth evil things. But I say to you that everyone, every idle word men speak, they will have to give an account for in the day of judgment. For your words will be justified and your words will be condemned. So you get the message. The fruit in this parable is the words spoken by the supposed prophetic speaker. Don't make the mistake of thinking this just refers to people who are claiming to foretell the future. Don't even go there. That's way too narrow a definition of what a prophet is. In fact, the historical books of the Old Testament, the books that we call Kings, Chronicles, those sort of things, within the canon of Scripture at the time of Jesus were referred to prophetic books along with what we would obviously call the prophetic books today. So this is really telling us that the prophetic word of God applies to anyone making utterances which in any way claim to be from the Lord or they claim that word can be applied into the everyday of our lives or our lives into the future or even to interpret what is going on in the world today. So you see the true test of a false prophet is the same as, it, as you would bring to a preacher and it is this. If a man or a woman is standing up before you claiming to bring a message from God in any way, they are in a sense claiming to be a prophet of God. And then all you have to do is simply test the words that come out of their mouths and see if they line up with scripture. They line up with the word of God as revealed in the Bible. So the test of identifying a false prophet is really rather simple. It is... Is the word coming out of their mouths the same as the word of God as disclosed in the Bible? Now, of course, that opens up a whole can of worms about if Christians don't have a good understanding of the Bible and are living the life of a disciple and getting to know it. 
then how else are they going to be able to discern whether someone is a true or false prophet? But when we listen to any preacher, any speaker, in any situation, we need to ask, is what they're saying what this book, the Bible, says? And you need to apply that principle widely in all areas these days. When you read religious books, Christian books, the test is, is this telling or explaining or helping us in some way apply what the Bible says? When you're listening to someone, anyone speaking or preaching, including me right now today, the test is, I'm telling you, is the test is, is what I'm saying line up with what the Bible says? Or am I just trying to tell you what I think? Because even this is not meant to be about me telling you what I think. It's about me telling you what this book actually says. Got it? That's the test of a false prophet. I think this passage sometimes gets misunderstood in the hands of some preachers and Bible teachers. And some misapply it because of that in the process. And they really miss the main point. They can assume that Jesus is saying that we can identify good people by their good deeds and bad people by their bad deeds. Maybe even incorrectly calling us to question some people's salvation because we don't seem to see the fruit of good works in their lives. But that's not what is going on here. In fact, some of these examples of good works that Jesus is talking about here, the fruit here, well, they would be the very things that he singles out as being false and creating a false sense of righteousness. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the very people who kept religious rules and regulations. So if fruit were just to mean the good works that we see in people's lives, then the Pharisees would be the very first to qualify for a medal. And that goes against everything Jesus has been teaching here for the last three chapters. This is not about works, it is about words. One scholar actually pointed out in Palestine at the time Jesus spoke, there was a type of fig tree that closely resembled a thistle, and he was, Jesus was actually saying, beware, sometimes those thistles at a distance can look like a fig tree or a berry tree, but you've got to go in and look close and examine it closely. And perhaps in that illustration that Jesus is using about berries and thistles, he's alluding to the fact that these plants can look like they're going to provide you with some nutrition, some nutritious food. But in the final analysis, they definitely won't do that. They might even be poisonous. So Jesus is warning us here that there may be a superficial resemblance between the true and the false prophets. These prophets may wear the right clothes, they may use the right religious language, but the words they offer when closely examined will be seen as not able to give or sustain life. Now what Jesus will do next in this passage, which I find particularly interesting, and we touched on it in the last verse of, of the section we've been reading is, he discusses their destiny, the future destiny that awaits the false prophets. And we'll pick that up in verse 2021. 20, but we'll discuss that in the next episode. I do hope you find that helpful, and I'll just say goodbye for now.
Okay, people, there we are. Really helpful words, I believe, if we can apply them in how we approach living out our Christian life and the sort of teaching and preaching we should be allowing ourselves to uh, be exposed to. I do hope you find that useful. A quick reminder, there's always a full transcript of each and every one of these podcasts available on the episode notes page of the podcast itself. Wherever you're getting your podcast from, you should be able to click through and get access to that. But if you're on one of the podcast sites that doesn't offer that feature, then you can access that transcript by visiting the host website, which is thebibleproject.buzzwrite.com. And there you'll find not only the transcript, but lots of links to other ways which you can connect to my teaching and my ministry. Places, additional teaching, more structured discipleship Bible courses, all those sorts of things on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn and Patreon. So have a look around and take advantage of anything that you might find helpful to you. Everything I do is always free, freely available, copyright free in the public domain. With that said, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for making the life-changing decision to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily life. And I do trust and hope I'll be able to see you back here again really soon. Tomorrow for me, whatever day it happens to be for you. But whenever it is, you are very welcome to join me back again on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.